Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos. And welcome back to our series, part two of why most firms fail to scale with estate planning. So on our last episode, and I would definitely recommend going back and listening to that if you are interested in this topic and haven't heard it, but we went over the fears and the limiters that ended up stopping people from starting a estate planning practice based on thousands of conversations we've had in the last three years with firms on the topic. And we went over the chicken and egg dilemma of scaling estate planning or any other practice and specifically dealing with the fear of losing one's reputation as an attorney in the market. So following on from that, assuming that you paused and listened to it, if you hadn't and wanted to, but following on from that, uh, I want to get to one of the biggest components of your reputation as an attorney. And this honestly isn't too specific to attorneys. This exists for every single business that's out there, but your product. So again, going back to that last episode, to become a good estate planning attorney, to build a strong practice, one must practice. But that's actually only one way that you can use to get good at estate planning. So on this episode, I want to go over some other options. But first, I want to go into an example that kind of illustrates the principles we're going to talk to. And again, as you can maybe see from the title of this podcast, we're talking about building capability versus building access. So uh, let's go back to the story. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I'm a fan of seeing what wealthy people end up doing with their money, especially the ones that are building their wealth, because you always got to assume that there's something there if it's working. And someone that's come on my radar in the last few years is uh, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. So it's kind of interesting. I find his story great because professional athletes are one of the classic demographics that's good at making money, but like really, really bad at keeping it. So I ended up doing a little research for this podcast. Uh, Shaq apparently spent the first million dollars he made on his contract in 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, pretty impressive, right? I think he ended up buying his uh, his mom's house and they paid out her mortgage and got his mom and dad cars and stuff like that. But um, again, good reason to spend money. But I mean, it kind of illustrates how uh, people play when they're professional athletes, right? And uh, another stat, which I found really interesting, is that 60% of players in the NBA are broke within five years after leaving the league, like bankruptcy broke. But Shaq is definitely the exception of the rule because right now he's worth half a billion. I think he's in the top five wealthiest athletes that have ever left the NBA. And he hasn't played any basketball since 2011. But what I find really fascinating is the way he's made money. And it's the exact same way that a lot of celebrities have lost money. And it's in one of the highest failure rate types of businesses that you can ever start, which is the restaurant business. So more stats on that, if you guys aren't familiar with it, 60% of restaurants fail in the first year and 80% of restaurants fail within the first five. But Jack didn't start restaurants. He ended up buying into franchises. And when you look at the failure rate of a franchise compared to a failure rate of starting a restaurant on your own, I'm just going to go into this because he owns a lot of wing stops. I wasn't able to find a wing stop specifically, but the average failure rate for your average KFC 
instead of 80% within the first five years, it's 13%. So to that point, we're talking about the wing stops, but Shaq also owns nine Papa John's, 17 Ancien's pretzels. And um, this one blew my mind, 155 Five Guys hamburger joints, which is over 10% of the total five guys that exists anywhere. And the reason that he's been successful with that is because he focused on building access instead of capability, which is where I'm going to bring this back to practicing law. So if Shaq had decided to go into restaurants, the way that most attorneys that we see go into a new practice area, he would probably still be in the kitchen with his apron on trying to figure out the best way to grill a hamburger. But instead of having to develop a product he knew would be good, he bought into one that already existed. Instead of learning how to make the product himself, he hired people who already knew how to do it. And instead of learning how to sell the product himself, how to market it, he leveraged an existing marketing system with all of those different franchises. So the total end goal is he was able to move faster. The day he opened any of the locations, I guarantee he was selling product on day one. Instead of having to go through the learning curve on the product side and the marketing side. And because he was able to move faster on getting sales, he had money to reinvest. And that's why he's been able to grow. That's why he's bought 155 Five Guys instead of one Five Guys. And the whole operation moving faster is actually moving faster with less risk because he was buying into a proven system. So, you know, there's fees associated with franchises. Did he have to pay for this? The answer is yes. But the truth is, you know, you're not starting a restaurant for free anyway. So he was going to be spending the money. Is it possible that he would have figured out a way to start a burger joint better than five guys would after doing this for thousands of restaurants over decades and decades? It's possible, but it's pretty unlikely, right? He's not going to figure out in the first go more than other people have been ever figured. And the, dis- the difference between what he was able to save by buying into a system, what he paid is, is basically going to be his profit, right? So anyway, it's a trade-off, right? Like many things in business, paying for access as opposed to building capability is a trade-off between time and money. So going back to the theme of this series, how can you build access instead of capability when it comes to estate planning? So I want to talk about a couple of different options. So the first one is going to be scaling with referrals. So super tried and true method. This has been going on since probably, I mean, they don't have a record for this, but I would probably say like early 1900s, right? But basically all you have to do is find another attorney. You got to make sure that you can vet them that they are the real deal when it comes to estate planning, get some sort of a co-counsel arrangement and basically give them the estate planning work. This could be something where you add a tab on your website, you want to list them as an of counsel. This could be more of an informal thing to see what happens when you get your next estate planning case. But basically, hopefully, and a lot of people mess us up by not building a solid co-counsel arrangement in place, but most states, you're able to ask for a solid third of the case. And if you can get that to work and you can find those cases, a third of it goes to you and two thirds goes to them for the work. But that's a huge win-win. The great thing about this is that there's a ton of estate planning attorneys out there. It's the kind of field that attracts a lot of lifestyle-focused attorneys. Frankly, and believe me, we've talked to hundreds of them at this point. Uh, a lot of them are cozy where they're at. They're getting enough referrals to th- like keep the lights on. They're not trying to make the Forbes list. So a lot of them have the bandwidth to take more, and they aren't aggressively doing that marketing themselves. But the advantage of taking this approach is it gives you a way to test the waters and see what it's like, see what kind of demand is there, what it's like having the initial conversations with clients about estate planning. It doesn't cost anything except for a little bit of time to find somebody. 
So it's basically a free way to basically see how much you like the work. And, you know, granted, you're not probably going to be, you know, buying a new house from the third that you're collecting. But if you can see that the demand is there, you can always invest into something that's going to be a little bit higher upside for you, but maybe a little bit more upfront. To our next point, scaling with software. So that's going to be our second path to building access instead of capability. And the great thing about estate planning, and I don't know how much you guys, this is probably not news to most of you guys, you don't have to hire litigators. I mean, you can, but again, it's uh, for the most part in terms of the transactional work, it's a lot of human interaction on finding clients and determining what they need, but the actual product is documents and there's fantastic softwares that are out there that can produce these documents. If you guys aren't familiar, uh, there's a couple of really, really good options out there. Um, I really should probably get an affiliate link for these guys one of these days, but um, two of the ones that come up a bunch, super tried and true, Wealth Council's one, another one is called Four Trust. So in general, these software is going to run anywhere between $500 to $1,500 per month. Last time we checked, you know, more of an investment than getting a referral relationship. But the good news is you get to keep 100% of the upside. So, and the cool thing too is like, also, I mean, I know this specifically for Wealth Council. I'm not certain about Fortrust, but they even provide training on the substantive law that is around estate planning. So it kind of gives you an on-ramp to building capability yourself if that's something that you're looking to do. So it's a little bit of a hybrid option. Now, the third option is scaling with people. And I want to call, uh, I, I read this book, it, this guy passed around a lot in the podcast circuit because it was by this guy, Dan Sullivan, who used to be a really, really, uh, huge podcaster, but it's called Who Not How. Really, really popular. I've heard this on a bunch of legal podcasts, actually. I read it. It probably could have been uh, you know, a 10-page book, but you know, the concept is, is pretty good, right? You can probably guess what it is from the title, but basically, it's about building capability through others, right? So I want to make a distinction between two ways that you can do this. So the first is going through some sort of a third party. And this is kind of similar to the referral thing, except for there's actually you know more centralized groups that you can get back office document production with. All these are legitimate law firms, you know, 100% do your homework when you're doing that. But the advantage of this versus software is that there's no upfront investment for a lot of them. And you don't actually have to build a capability to use the software. There is a bit of a learning curve with a lot of these softwares. So basically, no upfront, you're essentially only paying the variable cost of what it costs to produce these documents after you sell them. So just throwing numbers out there, if we have the situation where you can charge $4,000 for a trust, which I firmly believe that every single attorney that's doing documents right should be able to value these at. And you're paying, I don't know, $500 even for getting the documents produced. You're making a tidy margin on that. And that is more than enough to keep the lights on and you know justify whatever it takes to invest the time, money, advertising dollars to get that working. That was a very, very good, you brought, if you brought those margins on Shark Tank, you'd be getting some investment. So Option one. Option two is hiring people in-house. So the cool thing, again, with estate planning is that you don't necessarily have to hire a JD to do this. A lot of the work can be done by a paralegal or even an assistant if you're going to be the one who's signing off on the documents. Essentially, you're probably going to be paying for this in one way for, or another. The, the decision between third party and building this in-house is like, do you want to manage all these people or not? And again, it depends on how much you want to invest. So if, if you want to hire somebody, you know, perhaps the kind of person you would offer a of counsel relationship with, but you want to take 100% of it, you can be responsible for that person's salary and benefits. Uh, but again, you know, those people are going to the kind of people that are going to come with access to skills built in, right? They're working out of the box, batteries are included, but it's going to cost more than entry level hire that you can pay less for, but you might be responsible for building their capability, right? So three different options, kind of four if you think about it, but which one is right for you? And it ultimately really goes down to your risk appetite. So the highest risk option is going to be hiring somebody 
which gives you 100% of the upside, but also gives you 100% of the downside. If you go the of counsel route, it's going to cost you nothing, but you know you get 33%. So in scaling with software, you, know, you get a fixed cost, but it's, it's somewhere in between. So it doesn't really matter which one you pick, though, because every single one of these is going to be faster than reinventing the wheel. So that's basically building access, three specific ways that you can do it. But the cool thing about solving the issue of product by building access instead of capability is that we are segueing to the two remaining big fears that this is able to eliminate. So the first one, and this is a really common thing, is that people fear losing their existing practice. A lot of the times I think people should fear this a lot more than they do. We run into a lot of solos who have way too many practice areas on their website and not to extend the restaurant metaphor too much, but it's kind of like the situation. I always used to make this joke. It's like when you go to a, a restaurant, I'm like, yeah, we do sushi and Thai food and also Chinese food and we do Indian dishes as well. It's like, they're probably not going to be good at any of those things. <laughs> and it's the, the kitchen's going to be a mess. Their you know, ingredients are probably going to be all expired and stuff like that because they're not doing anything consistent. They're not getting good at any of those things consistently. So legitimately, if you're putting a lot of time, a limited amount of time as a solo, in building a different practice area, that time has to come from somewhere. But when you're not personally responsible for the delivery, you don't really have to make a choice, right? So you don't have to worry about, depending on which route you take, you don't have to worry about the time investment in building capability. You don't even have to worry about the fulfillment capacity. So you basically can bolt one of these practice areas on depending on how you're doing it. And then it's not going to risk anything that you're doing. If you're making money hand over fist with litigation, even though you hate it, uh, you don't have to stop doing any of that stuff as long as you're setting these things up correctly. And the good news is you can always go back, right? You know, you can turn off the ads, you can delete the page from your website where you had the, you know, your estate planning practices, you can take the of counsel off of your site, like no one's going to yell at you if you stop sending them referrals. There's like a lot of different ways to do this. Again, you know, when we're talking about the higher commitment stuff that can get a little bit more challenging, but you can always get you it, know, even if it does mean that you have to sever a working relationship with someone or cancel a software, you can always go right back to what you're doing right now. There is no risk. So basically, when you're solving with access instead of capability, you don't have to worry about losing your existing practice error. And the second one we're going to talk about on this podcast is going to be the fear of losing time because, you know, is there time involved with building access? Of course, there's always, but it's going to be a fraction of the time it takes to develop the capability and a fraction of the time it takes to deliver on that capability in estate planning. So the other thing that's built into building capability, say that three times fast, is the first couple of plans that you get to, you're going to do are going to be the most challenging. They're going to take the most time. And again, you can, you can work that learning curve up yourself, but you do risk losing time for anything else that's going on with your life, like your business for sure. But also, you know, there's a lot of people who end up trying to air quotes, like, you know, burn the midnight oil for a little bit to add another practice area. And if it doesn't materialize, then you just end up overworking yourself and getting burnt out. Right. But you build access, you use any of the three methods that we talked about before, build a co-counsel relationship, you know, invest in software, get a third party person. If you can build that, then basically you don't have to worry about any of the time investment that comes into it. Again, um, you're still gonna have to talk to people and have some mental bandwidth, but the fulfillment is gonna be none of the time, basically. So that leaves us with the last and final fear. And if you're a clever listener, you're probably asking yourself, but what about this? And that final fear is the fear of 
losing money because there is cost associated when it comes to building access instead of capability. And we're going to get into how to hedge against that and how to prevent it entirely if you possibly can in the next episode in this series. But until then, I want you to think about where you're building capacity, where you should be building access. What can get you to where you want to go faster? Just ponder that for a little bit. And until then, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 